Hello and welcome to another edition of On the Barricades. This is your most exciting weekly political show produced by Eastern European leftists, journalists, activists, academics. It takes all kinds of. We're all here for you. And I am Bojan Stanislavski. I'll be your host. Today, I will be the only host. Uh, my usual co-host, Maria Cernat, is vacationing somewhere in the Romanian mountains, or at least I think it's mountains because... Judging by the pictures published on Instagram, there's a lot of snow, and <laughs> so I, I think it is uh, the mountains. But she'll be back soon. Uh, meanwhile, I have a special, very special guest for you, Pat Byrne. You probably know him from our series "Divided We Fall." In if you are not familiar with the series, then do familiarize yourself with it. It's a very interesting one. Uh, and uh, Pat is a left is long-standing activist, uh, socialist activist, and uh, he's also. Uh, a kind of historian of the European uh, left, uh, and he's good enough to join us today. Welcome to the program, Pat. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, uh, Boyan. Great to be right. here. Right. Thanks. And uh, we're uh, we're going to discuss uh, something uh, pretty important. Uh, it's called Summit for Democracy. Now, uh, this whatever it means, Summit for Democracy, is set to be held uh, on the 9th and on the 10th of December, which is uh, in, well, a little less than one week from now, uh, with the expressed goal of bringing together uh, leaders to, and this is a quote, to tackle the greatest threats faced by democracies today. Again, whatever it means, and a quote. Uh, Interestingly enough, certain countries were not invited to this uh, summit. And, you know, before before we get into this nuance, which is uh, a very striking one, I want to ask you, Pat, what is your general take on this? I mean, what is this democracy summit for democracy, democracy summit? Uh, you know, however you shuffle the world, the words, it still <laughs> doesn't really mean much, does it? Well, um, I, I, think, I think it's actually... Um... It's all part of this geopolitical uh, battle that's going on um, against China and, and now also against Russia. And uh, I think that they, uh, the Americans want, you know, the Americans want to, and they're the ones who've called this, this, uh, this summit. Uh, and what they want to do is to try to broaden out their allies from the, you know, the, the usual suspects of the Five Eyes uh, you know, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and UK. And they want to try and get more people on board. And they're trying to use the um, the excuse of democracy to do that, and that, that kind of platform. Yeah, okay, but don't you think it's like the old handbook? I mean, you know, uh, we've, we, we kept hearing about, like, how the US is spreading democracy all around the world, you know, the human rights and all the rest of it. And... Uh, I kind of have the feeling that perhaps the public opinion, even globally, probably even in the United States itself, is kind of tired with it. Like everybody can see through this hypocrisy, through you know all the nonsense of it. And by the way, it was even put uh, in put forward officially by the joint statement. Uh, we're going to talk about that later, but I'm just going to indicate it now by the joint statement uh, in the joint joint statement by the, uh, the Russian and Chinese ambassadors who actually pointed it out that you know certain countries that speak about democracy so much, they better look after what's going on in their respective countries, right? Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk about that a little later. But, but but please tell me, don't you think it's it's just an outdated strategy? I mean, don't they have fresh people in uh, the State Department or somewhere else? Wow. To... Hmm. I, I, it's, not, it's not that old. Um, 
I mean, this is this is basically. Uh, I think most people recognise that we're now into a second Cold War. Yeah. And and the first Cold War against the Soviet Union and um, the Soviet bloc countries in Eastern Europe, that that didn't. Uh, although they talked about democracy and so on, they never went for an ambitious conference like this. Um, and the reason was because at that time, America was supporting a lot of right wing dictators. Yeah. And um, they they had this uh, they had this uh, very sophisticated justification for this, which ran ran along the following lines: was was that well, you know, that dictator might be a bastard, but he's our bastard. Yeah. By the and way, it's was, a quotation uh, from an American president. I can't remember which one. Yeah. But yeah. It's uh, it was it was some uh, either Secretary of State or American yeah. president. Yeah. Um, now. Nowadays, um, they're, 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 there's less of these um, right-wing dictators in power around the world. And so they feel that they can, it won't be so contradictory, it won't be so hypo hypocritical. Despite the fact that, of course, uh, America is still supporting uh, countries like Saudi Arabia and the other Gulf states. And they're also uh, willing to overthrow democratically elected governments in favor of uh, military coups and so on. Uh, but they kind of try to dress it up in more sophisticated terms nowadays. So these re regime change uh, operations, they tend to try to use these fake uh, yeah, grassroots organizations. See, you know? Yeah, totally. But but, but you see, uh, there's mm. this uh, nuance now that, okay, maybe it's not so old as a strategy because the previous Cold War ended like somewhat 30 years ago. Uh, but mm. it's... It, it, uh, I at least get this feeling, and many people, you know, in my bubble, as it's uh, fashionable to say, they we do get this feeling that it's a very worn out uh, record. I mean, you know, we've heard it so many times, and and, and the question of democracy. I mean, it used to be perhaps vital when we had this mm. mm, uh, 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 those governments uh, like the Eastern Bloc, the Soviet Union, and some other uh, you know countries that uh, not necessarily aligned with the Soviet Union at the time. That you know where there were certain deficits of democracy, obviously there, and uh, then it could have you know there was a basis for it to gain traction. Okay, because we fight for something that people you know, that people could decide for themselves and so on and so forth, uh, as if in the Soviet Union they never decided for themselves. That's a different story. But uh, that was at least something, you know, this was an obvious contradiction. There was an, one ideology here and one ideology there. And for a long mm. period of time, it, when this new Cold War started, so to say, or when the preparations for the new Cold War started, uh, the current one, I mean, then, uh, you know, the the analysis was uh, generally that, uh, or the consensus was, the analytical consensus, if you like, was that uh, there are no major differences in terms of ideology. That, you know, Russia and uh, is, is a capitalist country today, which it is, obviously, and the United States are a capitalist country. And basically everybody's, well, with the exception of, uh, of China, of course, which is not a capitalist country, uh, despite some leftists claiming that it is. Uh, but, uh, but, but you see, now it seems like, now when I look at it, uh, it, it, it seems like actually this ideological component is getting more and more important in this because, you know, what, what does it mean, democracy? What, what, what does it mean from, from the point of view of the, of the American uh, foreign policy? Well, it more or less means that uh, all countries that are democratic or, or countries that could be perceived by America as democratic are going to be those that align themselves politically and ideologically with the Democratic Party, more or less, okay? I mean, with all the simplifications of that statement. Uh, but, and, you know, there are different ideologies and there are different cultures and there are different histories and there are different countries and there are different perceptions, you know, of 
of, of, of the current reality, even globally, right? I mean, with the certain exception of, of the very, very universal values and, and, and concepts. But uh, there, there are many. And, and I think that, uh, you know, now it, it seems like, you know, it's not really about democracy. I mean, I mean demo it, it's about something else. It's about, uh, you know, the question, it's about sovereignty of certain countries that are reasserting their sovereignty or asserting its sovereignty for the first time, you know, ever maybe. Uh, and, uh, and and this is, what do you think? I mean, please uh, talk about like the two, uh, two things, like the, the question of, of this being worn out and the question of ideologies being increasingly important in this uh, sure. conflict. <clears throat> well, I think uh, I, I would take, a, uh, I would assess this differently than the way you're, mm -hmm. you, you've expressed it. Uh, because I, I, I think that the um, the question of democracy and the way the media is posing it is, is very effective. I don't think it's worn out for the I think the majority of the population of the world, um, although they, they, you know, in their own country, um, they're getting disillusioned with this modern form of uh, hollowed out democracy that we now have in the neoliberal era, where basically, um, you know, elections are a bit of a circus. Um, the politicians are more and more corrupt. They they don't carry out their promises, um, and, and people are getting fed up with democracy in their own country. But globally, they still you know still go along with this idea. And, and if you look at opinion polls around the world, um, since they've begun this massive propaganda war uh, from about 2017 onwards uh, against China, for example, um, the, the the opinion polls are showing that whereas uh, before that. Um, consistently people, generally about 50-50 or sometimes even 60-40% of the population were sympathetic to China. Now it's shot up to 80, 85, even 90% of the population is hostile to China. But you're talking and about the global population? A global population, mm -hmm. yeah. In, in most countries now, uh, a big majority is hostile to China. Be what, why wouldn't they be? They're getting deluged every single day yeah. in both the mainstream media and in the uh, in the social media with all these reports, um, uh, lurid, exaggerated um, reports and negative reports of China. Uh, yeah, even and in straightforward the, in, lies also. I mean, there's tons yeah, well, of... There's uh, you know, it's propaganda. It's propaganda. Yeah. I mean, for example, the whole thing about Xinjiang it's all a made-up story, most of it, because, yeah. I mean, what kind of genocide is it where there's no photographs, there's no dead yeah. bodies, there's no mass graves, there's no refugee camps? I mean, what kind of uh, yeah. genocide can that be? And when, you, when they're challenged about that, then they, they change their... They say, oh, yeah, okay, maybe we're talking about cultural genocide. Well, cultural genocide <laughs> is a completely... It's a know, completely meaningless concept, yeah. No, but, no, but it's a totally different level yeah. of human rights but even yeah. on cultural genocide um actually there's it's that's become a, a farce because so many tourists have been going to Xinjiang and seeing that the the the, the, the Uyghurs are talking their language they're going to sure. the mosques yeah, they're eating yeah. their food they're wearing their 
They're I mean, wearing their yeah, clothes. They're absolutely. even dancing to their music in nightclubs. You know? Yeah, McDonald's is much more of a cultural genocide throughout the world than pretty much anything well, you know. that has happened. But, yeah. but I mean, it, it, and, and it, it's, it's, it's become, it is a joke about a lot of yeah. these things that they, they're accusing China of. Um, but people who don't, you see, Xinjiang is a perfect place because it's so far away from anybody that the vast majority of people have never, never been there and don't know anybody from there, never don't know anybody's ever been there. Yeah, okay, so how so, would they know differently? You know? Yeah, so, of course. So the thing is, so people people mm. go along with this propaganda. And and at the rock bottom of it, they, the accusation that the, the Chinese government is an authoritarian top-down regime, um, uh, which, of some elements of which are true, um, uh, people therefore say, oh, yeah, that, you know, that's the thing. No. Why is this uh, campaign being launched? That's the question. Because remember, yeah. um, before this, for about 30, 40 years, ever since Nixon went to, to China in 1972, um, the, you know, there's been great relationship between America and China. And then they've been a lot, they've been friends and they haven't had that much propaganda against the, against them and so on. And suddenly, uh, even though China hasn't changed that much, um, and, and certainly they had, if they did have a top-down authoritarian regime, they had it 10 years ago, they had it 20 years ago. Why now? Well, even and, much and more authoritarian, I would say, than I would argue. Well, than, yeah. I don't think it's been fundamentally changed. But they're, well. trying, they're trying to argue that President Xi has cracked down much more strongly and it's a more uh, authoritarian turn. But I don't think there's much evidence for that. What the real difference is, is that China has become much stronger and then America has suddenly realized, oh, Christ, uh, they, they yeah. are in danger of jeopardizing our top dog, um, you know, uh, dominant position in the world. And America is so used since, the, since around the late 19th century, they're so used to dominating the world that the idea has got into their, almost into their whole uh, way of thinking. The idea that someone might be coming along who will surpass them uh, economically, politically, militarily, technologically, they just can't cope with it. Yeah. And therefore, therefore, they've had to launch a big campaign um, to try to contain China and slow down its growth. And, and hopefully they, they might think to, to actually stop it. Um, like they did with Japan in the in the 1980s and into the 90s, you know. Yeah. So but... they, you know, that that's that's the I think the motivation behind all of this. But I don't underestimate I don't underestimate at all um, the power of this. Is you know because the the Western countries, not just America, you know, the main allies of America are feeling the same way. Um, you know, the European Union, you know, there was a period when the European Union looked like it was emerging as, as the, you know, maybe the most powerful economy in the world. Um, but now they're becoming a backwater and uh, they can see yeah. that the threat of China uh, as they would see it in terms of preeminence. And for the, and not only this, it's, it's also a racial question. I mean, <clears throat> the white people of Europe and, 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 and the, the, the ones who they then went to America, they've thought that they, under the surface, they've, always thought that they they deserved this success and they, the reason why they were successful was because they were superior intellects and whatever you know their culture yeah of course I, I i totally feel that there's a racial component here and xenophobic strong xenophobic uh, like the mm. kind of western you know this occidentalism like uh, the, the kind of the, the contempt for anything mm. that is east of the elbe river uh, which by the way includes uh, some countries of the region where i live uh, and and uh, I, I really think that this is something fundamental. I mean, what you pointed out, the psychological problem that uh, the white 
ruling class has in America and in Europe, but particularly in America, yeah. they definitely have this psychological problem, and and you know they can't quite cope not only with the fact that China is 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 a country that obviously they have no idea what to do with. I mean, that I can't quite see how they're going to contain it. Yeah, it's like unless they allow the wage a war or something like this, they might I don't know try some provocations over Taiwan. That's that's one of the strategies, at least part of the American ruling class seems to be uh, rather hell bent on that. Uh, but uh, you know, <clears throat> this is this is something very important, not only because they have this problem, and we can now see how they are trying to cope with it somehow and and to try and justify their own uh you know uh, uh kind of perceived self-perceived superiority and 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 i think that notions like democracy the way they understand it i think they come <clears throat> They're very helpful in it because they help them rationalize that. Yes, we are better. We are better than anyone else because we have democracy. And, you know, and then you can man manipulate the notion of democracy so that it suits your particular and, and peculiar goal. Uh, and, uh, and I think that it's also... Uh, the question, not only, but because on the one hand, of course, it's China and the propaganda against China and, and the, the attempts to, to uh, somehow prevent China from further growth. But there's also the question of Russia. And I think this uh, racial or whatever xenophobic sure. component is even more important here because Russia has always been seen, has always been viewed by the uh, by, by the uh, by by the Europe, Western European countries, Western European ruling classes, even by sections of the Western European left, as a as a place for barbarians, like you know that it, the, the, the disdain for for Russia has always been there, like uh, in modern times, I mean, and uh, and this is something that you know for a while it was kind of. Um, uh, it, 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 I mean, it wasn't so visible because obviously Russia under Yeltsin, for example, was following the Western orders. So as yeah. long as, as they were doing what the West told them to do, as long as the West was able to exercise its superiority in practice, everything was okay, right? And then suddenly when Russia, you know, started to reassert its, uh, the, itself as, as a sovereign country, it turned out that no, no, everything is wrong about Russia, starting from human rights, ending with like whatever. I mean, the list is long. And uh, uh, and I think that you know this is this is pretty dangerous because the ruling class in America and in Europe they are faced not only with the rise rise of China and with the rise of Russia, but they are also faced with the implosion of their own system. And this is something that Russian politicians are pointing out very often, saying even you know on public press conference saying that the domination, the five hundred years of Western domination on the world in the world, have are coming to their end. Now it's time for other forces, civilizations, sure. cultures, and so on and so forth, to come to the front and lead the world. And it's, you know, on the one hand, obviously they are fearing that Russians and Chinese, you know, people that they uh, th that they disdain, will lead the world. And this is something frightening for them. But on the other hand, there's this implosion of the American empire and of the Western European uh, whatever. Well, I don't want to say it's an empire, but it's a block, okay? A an important block. And... and uh, it's it's pretty frightening because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, this this summit for democracies is is like an an act of despair for me. I mean, they really don't know what to do, and they're doing all kinds of movements which are not necessarily very beneficial even for their own geostrategic geopolitical goals right now. At least to me, that's how it appears. And you know, when you think of imploding the uh, uh, empires, then you know the the British Empire, for example. I mean, it did pretty good job, sort of 
deconstructing itself, so to say. Whereas the American one, I don't know whether it's going to follow the same peaceful path of, of kind of, you know, chopping itself mm -hmm. off uh, into different pieces and, and, and one center that will remain an important political center, but not the dominating one. So, yeah, please go ahead and tell me what's your take uh, on this. Well, I, I think it's, it's a good idea for us to look in a little bit more detail at this mm. um, uh, democracy summit that's uh, taking place at the end of next week. Um, because, you know, there's a lot of things revealed in that uh, about what their, the strategy that they're following, uh, but also the, the, the massive flaws in it. So uh, perhaps if you could switch over to, um, sure. uh, I've, I've got a little document here, um, yeah, which, which outlines, it outlines here the, what the officially, what the State Department, how they explain this thing. So, <clears throat> So they're calling this, uh, this is not just for government leaders. That's the first point I want to make. Mm -hmm. As they say, it's also for civil society and the private sector. Now, the private sector are the big companies, the multinationals, of course, um, which in reality, the Western governments are uh, answerable to. The civil society part of it are all these um, non-governmental organizations, which are mainly financed by uh, America and by the European Union. Yeah. Now, they... they, they by the American they say, government and by the European governments. That, that's how exactly. non-governmental exactly. they are, by the way. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They're not non-governmental at all. So the, it says the summit will focus on challenges and opportunities facing democracies and will provide a platform for leaders to announce both individual and collective commitments, reforms and initiatives to defend democracy and human rights at home and abroad. Now, what that tells you, that this is not, as a lot of people probably are thinking, just a kind of hot air conference where they'll all come together, make some fine speeches about, yes, we all support democracy, and then they go home and nothing happens. This is not what the Americans are trying to do. They're trying to do something much more serious. Um, so if you read on, they, they, and they're talking about that they're expecting, as a result of this, they're expecting changes in the law back in many of these countries. If these countries participate, um, they want them to uh, commit to this, uh, to, you know, some general statement, and then they want to hold them to that commitment and get them to change the laws, um, to involve these uh, non-governmental organizations that the Americans are financing, it, it, almost as semi-government organizations in at home in their own countries. Um, and this is quite a dangerous development if it, if it does take off. So they say, um, they say, in advance of the first summit, we're consulting with experts from government, multilateral organizations and philanthropies. Philanthropies are, you know, the billionaires, you know, yeah. um, uh, civil society and the private sector solicit bold, practicable ideas around three key themes. Defending against authoritarianism. Well, we know what that means. That's uh, yeah, yeah. the same against the Russians and the Chinese. Addressing and fighting corruption. Well, you know. Oh, uh, I know. They, yeah. have, they haven't made a very good job of that, particularly when you consider that corruption is totally rife now in yeah. America and many of these other countries. I mean, the lobbying that goes on in the Congress, Every most of the congressmen, sadly, are bought and sold by the companies. Um you know, the moment you get into Congress, 
you have to start fundraising for your next election campaign and along yeah, come the lobbyists. That, that's, to offer you're their, totally right. But I want to add, add the Eastern European aspect to that because in Eastern Europe, sure. we're used to this. You know, I mean, every time they want, uh, the Americans want something to change, they uh, start beating the drum of corruption. Oh, there's so much corruption here, so much corruption there. You have to fight corruption. And, you know, suddenly there's tons, uh, there's like, I don't know, three, four, five, ten NGOs, okay, a dozen of them that are going to help the government fight, the, <laughs> you know, combat uh, uh, corruption and so on and so forth and when they don't like someone they will just say that it, 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 this party or that leader is corrupt and that's you know this is how they dismiss them yeah well the the uh this corruption is uh, so widespread now in the advanced world never mind their yeah. their implication it only happens in the poorer countries you know um then the last item which is promoting respect for human rights now the problem is that their interpretation of human rights is very narrow mm. And it's very, it's, it's the top level of human rights. They don't say anything about the basic level of human rights, which is, first of all, the sovereignty of a country, its independence, and its territorial unity. Because if you're, not, if you're not independent, if you don't have your own sovereignty, in other words, if foreign countries are controlling you, then your, your population, uh, how can they improve their human rights? How can they have any democracy? And then you, and then you go on to the right to life. And then you go on to the right to health care. You go on to the right to right housing, to housing yeah. the right to, uh, to education, the right to clothing, the right to transport, the right to food yeah. um, uh, at a decent level. And so on. We, uh, but none of these are included in their list of human rights. Mm -hmm. Their list of human rights is very much restricted to things like the right to vote, uh, the media, it might be gender rights, etc. Yeah. But all the basic things which determine whether you can even exercise those higher level rights they don't talk about and they don't care about so as a result of course um we see terrible uh, abrogations of, hu of human rights at these basic levels uh, and not a dicky bird uh, from these uh, no mention right. or no campaigning by these organizations so re reading the last part of this statement from the uh, the state department they say leaders will be encouraged to announce specific actions and commitments to meaningful internal reforms and international initiatives that advance the summit's goals. And these pledges will include domestic and international initiatives that counter authoritarianism, combat corruption, and promote respect for human rights. Civil society, civil society will be represented on panels and in town halls as part of the official program. So what they're doing is they're raising, for the last uh, 30 years, and I think I, I would criticize the left, for not really following this properly. They've been caught napping. The, the Americans have been spending huge amounts of money to set up and promote and fund um, these non-governmental pressure groups for human rights, for, for democracy in countries all over the world. And what they're actually part of is, a, is, is, a, is a, an important part of their way of manipulating and controlling the politics of that country, and in many cases, to actually overthrow the governments of those countries. So, you know, when you see these regime change operations, these NGOs play a key role. Um, oh, yeah. And what they're trying to do, what they're trying to do is they're trying to extend the power of these NGOs and the power of the Americans and the EU into uh, countries more and more, um, which, is, which is ironic. Um, you mentioned about the, the fact that the, um, the Chinese and the Russians, Russian ambassadors came out with a joint statement criticizing this upcoming conference. And uh, I think that was, that was an interesting development in and of itself because 
up until now, um, there's been a growing alliance between China and Russia, uh, who are basically both are under attack by the West, uh, propaganda-wise and in many other ways, sanctions and so forth. And they have decided to work together, first of all, economically, uh, uh, diplomatically, and increasingly militarily. But this state statement from the Chinese and American, uh, so the Chinese and Russian ambassadors, this joint statement, is a new departure because it's kind of like an ideological alliance as well. Exactly, that's and, what I was referring to. Yeah, and I, and I don't, I don't think, I think that the that the Chinese in particular, and probably Putin as well, didn't want to get into that situation. But they, the Americans and the European leaders are forcing them to do that, so they have to respond. They've got no choice. And in that statement, they make a lot of very important points, which I think are very significant, um, uh, <clears throat> not just for today, but historically. So the first point they make is that, you know, uh, the point I made earlier is that sovereignty is the first principle of democracy. You can't have democracy if a foreign country or foreign countries are controlling your country and your people. They, how can you have democracy? So that's the first thing. You have to have sovereignty for, of your own country. So then how does it work that the Americans are saying that our version of democracy is the only one that is real democracy exactly. and they're trying to build up this movement to impose that in country after country around the world? How is that? Because you're, you're basically abusing countries' sovereignty. I mean, after all, um, even if the Americans were right, but they're not, but mm. even if they were right that their, their form of democracy is the only show in town, or the only meaningful form of democracy, the reality is everybody knows that you have to have um, a certain level of economic uh, uh, wealth, of uh, stability, to make such uh, kind of democratic systems work. I mean, if you're in a country which is torn apart by internal strife or where the people are starving or whatever, you're not, you're not going to be able to get any meaningful form of, uh, obvious, uh, yeah. of Western-style democracy to work. So, so obviously, countries have to develop their democracy at their own pace according to their own reality and economic wealth and other things. So even on that basis alone. But if you go on to the, the other thing that the, the statement that's made by the Chinese and the Russians is that they started to question for the first time what type of democracy is the West pushing? Is it a real democracy? Yeah. And they, they raised a couple of criticisms, and I think we can go much further than that. They, they raised the question of um, that this is a very intermittent democracy. It's a periodic democracy. In other words, you have people have the vote every four or five years, but in between, governments get away with what they want to do. And the second point they make is that in these election campaigns, um, it's a marketing exercise where these, these parties promise all kinds of things, but they, most of the time they don't carry them out. And there used to be a time, I think, uh, if you went back about 50 years or more, uh, democracy uh, in the West, with all its limitations, was more meaningful. But the neoliberal era we, we are in now um, where you've privatized so many things so that so the government doesn't have control of much in the economy or in society. And you also created a situation where <clears throat> you've created so much inequality. So, for example, in, in, uh, in America, you've got 750 billionaires. I mean, a billionaire, it's a concept that we haven't seen since the Roman Empire, probably even more extreme than the Roman Empire, where, you know, where they had hundreds of thousands of slaves and these people lived in the lap of luxury and so on. 
Um, these billionaires have got more money than they know what to do with. But unfortunately, and it's logical, a large section of the billionaires are far right wingers and they are backing the neoliberals um, and using their money to distort the system. Now, why wouldn't they? Because the, <clears throat> the neoliberals are the ones who are responsible for getting them their money and uh, for protecting them. I mean, they, they have these attitudes, for example, which is they don't believe in paying any tax. They think tax is theft by a society of their wealth. And they believe that their wealth is being owned by themselves. Of course, they conveniently forget the fact that the, the, the wealth they have has been actually earned to them by, first of all, by the often uh, hundreds of thousands, in some cases, of workers who work for them, and the millions of consumers who buy their goods. They forget yeah. all that. And, and large uh, subsidies you know, from the government, oftentimes. And, uh, and yeah, all sorts of, uh, not just subsidies, but all they, yeah. they, they've, they've crafted, they use their power and their, their payments and the, the, all the senators and congressmen and so on that they control to get them to write laws that then allow them to get all sorts of benefits and advantages over all the rest of the, the companies and the smaller companies and so on who don't stand a chance in that situation. So the billionaires in America, a large section of them, are pouring huge amounts of money into the neoliberal movement and it's all their think tanks and so on. And as a result, they've taken over the whole of the Republican Party being taken over by the billionaire neoliberal-backed uh, forces. So you've got one half of the political spectrum, plus uh, probably about three quarters of the Democrats in Congress uh, have been are bought and sold by them as well. So, so the end result is that, you know, uh, democracy is a farce. So, so the vast majority of people in America want to have a proper healthcare system like they do in Europe but they can't get it. They want all kind of, uh, they want uh, they want uh, paid leave. When a, when a woman has a child, they want her to have paid leave where everywhere else they have it, but not in America and they can't get it. And, and it, if you go through all the social questions like of wages and, and, and uh, minimum wage, for example, uh, the, the number of people in America who support the need for a decent minimum wage is huge. It's an overwhelming majority, but they can't get it because the Congress will not allow it through. And, yeah, and that's, so it goes. So as, that's as, the so-called democracy. Yeah, as but, one, but, as one. Yeah. Uh, sorry, just to interrupt here because yeah, I sure, think it's, it's very symbolic. I want to say that uh, I, one American uh, political stand-up comedian, I think it was Jimmy Dore, said that he will believe he will start believing in American democracy when there's a party that he can vote for against the interests of Goldman Sachs. Well, if yeah, that exactly, happens yeah. ever, then oh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, and 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 so. I mean, one of the main reasons why um, people are so angry, ordinary people are so angry in America and in Europe, and why they're switching to uh, you know more more uh, radical parties, particularly on the right wing, but even on the left wing sometimes, um, is because they are finding that democracy is, is not doing anything for them. In fact, yeah. it's just it's actually their living standards and their conditions and their welfare state and so on slipping away. And, and, yeah, they, and, I, and we're in this crazy situation where the children, they feel their children are going to be worse off than they are. Of you know, course, of course. And, and, and this is an absolutely terrible situation. And I want to add that, you know, it also speaks to the Eastern European experience, okay? Because we have been fed this story, uh, mm. you know, this candy-coated uh, propaganda about uh, democracy, how great it is going to be, how we're going to be sovereign nations now, and, and how mm. everything's going to be fantastic, and, and uh, everybody's going to be wealthy. Actually, that was the, uh, the, the initial story slogan of the Polish transition to capitalism, get rich. Well, not many followed the advice, actually. But uh, but they really said that, like, it's time for people to get rich, right? So now everybody's disillusioned. And throughout Eastern Europe, you can see uh, one authoritarian regime after another emerging, okay? And it's uh, it's 
pretty uh, pretty actually telling um, how the Americans have uh, made their choices in Eastern Europe in particular. Because, for example, mm. they've invited the Polish, uh, who are terribly authoritarian, yeah. okay? And I can speak from bitter experience. I live here, okay? And it is an authoritarian country. And I can give you a whole uh, list of examples of that. Uh, but, uh, this is, but, but they did invite them nonetheless. Why did they invite them? And, you know, the question, the answer to that question, in my opinion, is very simple and very telling at the same time. Because they follow the imperialist, the Western imperialist or, or Washington or, or whatever American imperialist line. And the American mm -hmm. imperialist line is being repeated here one to one without any... Uh, I would say modifications even. I mean, it's, it's, it's very rigid and it's very, I mean, it kind of stands out, you know, in the Polish reality because uh, normally when you want to copy something, then you want to adjust it a little bit to the local reality so that, so that it doesn't stand out, so that it doesn't look like it was copied and pasted from, from somewhere. And, and those, they don't care. I mean, those people that are in, in power now in Poland, they just, you know, and they are, they are even getting carried away. Like when Trump, back when Trump was president, they they wanted to invest two billion zlotys, uh, which is about five hundred uh, uh, million euros. Uh, they wanted to invest in, in building a military base, and, and we're talking about Polish taxpayers' money, okay? They wanted to invest military base for American soldiers, and they were going to call it Fort Trump. <laughs> that literally was the idea, okay? <laughs> so I mean, this is and, and, and how are they not going to be invited to 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 a summit for democracy? Sure. How, how are they not, not going to be invited? And they could do anything here. And you know, the uh, the Americans now are overlooking or looking the other way when the Polish are attacking the Polish women, when they are banning abortions, when they are cracking down on the LGBT community, when they are you know, there's one. Uh, 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 human rights violation after another, okay, going on sure. here. And we're talking about the judicial system. We're talking about, you know, uh, 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 counter-constitutional, uh, uh, you know, political acts uh, that are being carried out and so on and so forth. So, yeah, mm. I mean, Poland is a lab-clean example, really, of modern-day uh, authoritarianism, emerging uh, right-wing authoritarianism. Yet they get invited. But not Orban, for example, who's the leader of, of Hungary, and, uh, you know, the Polish, by the way, they don't even, I mean, I'm talking about the political class, they don't even uh, hide this, that they model themselves on the Orban's uh, uh, schema, on his, you know, uh, kind of mm -hmm. arrangement, right? They, right. Don't, they, they don't hide it. They say that, they, they're very open about it. But Orban doesn't, doesn't get invited. Why is that? Well, because he actually uh, gets on pretty well, or he wants to get on pretty well with Russia. You know, that's, that's and with the Chinese, and, and with, with the Chinese, Chinese, by the way, too. And you know, yeah. he bought and, and he bought some uh, uh, some Sputnik Five, I think, uh, vaccines. He was also trying to defend the interests uh, of the of the Hungarian yeah. diaspora in Ukraine against the far right government uh, in Kiev. Yeah, and, and also there. Hungary. Hungary is part of the Belt and Road Initiative. They're building train lines and you know what I mean? So Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I, th I, I just want to say, a, I sorry, think Boyan, it's very important. That's a very good, yeah, I'm, I'm good finishing here, but I want to say this yeah. because I don't want to come through as, as a defender of Orban or something like that. This is no. an extremely corrupt no. far-right regime, okay? Sure. And I don't like it and, and I don't endorse it. What I'm just trying no. to say is that the difference between the Polish and the Hungarians are that Hungarians are actually carrying out some kind of sovereign polit policy, uh, policies, sure. okay? Yeah. So this is the, yeah. I yeah, mean, sorry, I'm that, off that, to that's it. Uh, it's an it's an irony now that actually uh, it used to always be the case that you know um, uh, a democracy was far more preferable than a dictatorship, but so so corrupt and manipulatable are, is the is the new form of democracy 
Because when when they bring these kind of when they introduce these democracies, what they do is they they then open it up to foreign money to come in and fund the politicians, fund the political parties uh, to have these NGOs that can then run these big mass so-called. Uh, they're supposed to be grassroots campaigns, but in many ways they, they they latch onto subjects and they sometimes get large numbers of people behind them, but they're really fake. Ultimately, mm. yeah, um, and so they end up so that you know the George Soros of this world or the American State Department can have far more control of countries uh, when they've implemented these uh, this modern neoliberal form of democracy. So, ironically, um, in some countries like like um, Hungary, because they're not they're not democratic, um, they they can ignore a lot of the pressures and that they can get away with doing things which they they feel are actually better for the development of their economy or you know because. Even a dictator like um, Orban has to deliver some results for his people. Otherwise, eventually he'll become totally unpopular and be overthrown. So he knows that. Yeah. He's not stupid, right? It, but but yeah. but what's very interesting about the example you give, and I, I think it's great that you compare Hungary to Poland, because what you're talking, what you're showing there, is it's not about the essence of the state. It's it's, it's about control. It's whether it's whether or not the European Union leadership and the Americans control the country or not, and that's what they—that's how they define whether they're democratic or, right. or part and of their. On that thought, hold order. your thought. Hold your thought. I'm going to jump mm. in here now, and we're going to go to a short break. And after that break, we're going to be back.